Hello and welcome back to Video Drone Podcast number 14. My name's Fraser. And my name's Craig. Um, first of all, last time we did an episode all about the running man. Yes, we did. We made a cracking error. <laughs> yes, we did. And it was uh, Yafford Cotto appeared in Live and Let Die. And That's not, right. What did we mention instead? Only Live Twice, I think, I wasn't think it? I think that yeah. was the one that we said, but e- either way we got it wrong. Aye. Well, <laughs> very, very wrong. Mainstream's not our fault, you see. That's our excuse. <laughs> no, that, uh, yeah, we, we can say that. But speaking of mainstream, you've been uh-huh. to the pictures. Indeed, I, I have, yes. What have you been to see? Don't Breathe. It was uh, it was quite an interesting film. Uh-huh. Um, not exactly what I expected for a more mainstream horror film. Goes to some pretty dark places. Right. Uh, but very good overall. More of a thriller, I would say, than a horror movie, really. Right. But um, definitely. Uh, Is it worth the effort then? Yeah. I, I thought so, and so did Nancy. Yeah. Uh, still on the pictures at the moment. I might see mm-hmm. if I can catch it, but. Uh, not I am, for everyone. Not for everybody, say. right? It's fifteen, but. Um, Pushes the fifteen. Yeah, it, it did. Well, one particular scene does, but we'll not go any further. Oh right. Okay. That. Well, he has been getting some good notices, so yeah. Yeah, well, don't uh, let the um, the fact that the the people res- responsible made the Evil Dead remake put you off. <laughs> well, that did put us off, actually, to be <laughs> well, fair. Well, it put me off. But, the trailer looked good, though. But after reading the reviews, I thought, I oh, will give it a chance. Well, because, let's face it, you know, it doesn't matter who's behind the film. Um, everyone, you know... Should be judged on its own merits. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's been plenty of things where I thought, oh, you know, he's made some terrible stuff in the past. And then it's actually been quite a good movie. You can't really judge it based solely on that. Apart from Zack Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do, we do, we do. And yeah, so uh, looking forward to the next episode as well. Mm -hmm. I think we're talking about, well, me and Craig have been talking for the last few weeks. About the Phantasm series. Yeah, Phantasm, because there's a new one coming out. which Ravager. Yeah, is that going to be the last one? Yes, Uh, Coscarelli's uh, plans for the final instalment. He says it's going to answer a lot of your questions, but not not all of them. Right. Leave a bit of mystery in it. So yeah, so like we did with Mad Max, um, we split that over a couple of episodes. We're hoping yeah. to do that with the with fans. There's a lot to well. talk about, especially in the first one. So yeah. that might work out being a bit of a longer one. Definitely. Um, and the thing is, is we've, we, I mean, we found it quite quite an interesting subject to talk about because it's one of the only like big horror franchises that's not been rebooted or remade. And it's weird to think, you know, in 1979 or whenever it was when it started off. Yeah. And like we're getting the final instalment now uh-huh. in 2016, which is pretty crazy. What a labour of love the series has been. You know? Definitely, definitely. Um, um, also, what we should mention as well, that we should big up our um, Twitter and Facebook yes, groups. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you're a Facebook user, we have a Facebook group. Um, if you just search in groups for Video Drawn Podcast uh, in caps. In capital letters, uh, it'll, yeah. It'll pull it up. Um, also, um, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're under Video Drone Podcast, all capital letters, all one word, at Video Drone Pod in lowercase. Right. Um, and that'll uh, pull you. Our logo's a robot, so if you see the one on Twitter that has the robot. Yeah. It, the robot with the telly yeah. is ahead, sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And we're www.videodronepodcast.co.uk uh-huh. for the website as well. Cool. And I was quite surprised to find that we actually had quite a few requests to the website to download stuff right. uh, recently. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't just in the dozens, <laughs> no, and it wasn't just in the hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the thousands actually. But, uh, but it's the data is difficult to read though because it doesn't. It tells you all sorts of statistics you don't need to know as well as the stuff that's actually downloads. Right. So it's hard to know exactly how many people have downloaded. But put it this way, it's a lot more than I thought. <laughs> but regardless, well, thanks to everybody for downloading. Yeah. I hope you keep listening. I mean, it's only mm-hmm. our little ramshackle little podcast, but mm-hmm. we try our best. Exactly. And yeah. uh, but we're grateful for everybody who listens and downloads. Mm-hmm. Okay, so shall we get on with this week's episode? Absolutely, yeah. Bit of a, oh, it's a story about this week's episode. So originally, 
If you remember last time, last time out we uh, reviewed the Running Man, yeah, and that was going to be the theme for for three films with mm-hmm. running the title. Yeah. So we had the Running Man, mm-hmm. we had Cut and Run, yeah, and we had was it Run Lola Run or was it another one? It wasn't Run Lola Run. It we was t- Run, that Run and Scared. Run and Scared. Run and yes, Scared. So right. they were going to be the three films just linked thematically by the title. Yeah. As it turned out, we thought Running Man was so good that we had to just do a standalone yeah. episode. It's just a lot to talk about with that, so we yeah. decided we'll, we'll go with that instead. And it sort of sort of said, right, we'll do the other two. I passed uh, Running Scared off to Craig to have a watch. He went, nah, not reviewing, that's rubbish. So <laughs> this episode has morphed into, we've got still got Cut and Run, Ruggiero Diodato's Cut and Run. Mm-hmm. We've also got um, Enzo Castellari's The Last Shark. Mm-hmm. And then also we've got um, Beast with a Gun. So this episode's turned into an Italian episode by yeah, no fault of its own. Yeah, because some of those titles I've said would always review um, and things have just popped up. So yeah, it's going to be an Italian mm-hmm. pasta episode, I suppose. Yeah, um, exactly. And what a barrel of fun it's going to be. So I think we'd better get on with these reviews. Indeed, yeah. Cheers, Craig. So first we're going to be looking at Beast with a Gun. Um, Italian film, as we previously mentioned, uh, the All Artists episode, 1977. Yeah. Uh, directed by Sergio Greco. Oh yeah, I think that's the way his name's <laughs> He's pro- much better with Italian. No, um, no, no, I'm not. And I'm much better with Asian stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of the world is watching Star Wars, but in Italy they're watching mad... Uh, exploitation Exploitation movies. cop movies, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, this one, because it's known under a lot of different titles, and the title card actually shows two titles at once on the print we've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, it showed, um, I believe it was Ferocious and Beast with a Gun, yeah. but it's also known as Mad Dog Killer as well. Yeah. Um, and then there'll be, obviously, the Italian title for whichever one's been translated. Um, so going into this one, I mean, I knew very little about it. The most I knew about it was that um, Tarantino had used it in Jackie Brown in the background. Yeah, so he'd used it on the telly and he'd also mm-hmm. used part of the score as well. That's right, yes. Yeah. And that was as familiar as I was with exactly. it. I actually knew it was a crime movie and that was it. Nothing about it until um, I actually sat down to watch it, really. Yeah. So had you seen it before I this hadn't, review? I it? hadn't seen it. I'd obviously seen, been aware of it, been slipped into the Tarantino film and I thought, mm-hmm. like, thought well if he's got it on the telly it must be have something interesting, yeah. interesting about it and uh, I've managed to pick up a copy from the States mm-hmm. and I ended up getting two sent through can't know why so I, I give you a, a, yeah. a free copy it's, it's an old anchor beer print mm-hmm. I do know there's a new Blu-ray coming out in the UK for mm-hmm. the first time I don't think oh, it's ever right, interesting. A, might have had a legal release pre-VRA in mm-hmm. this country before they sure. all got banned and etc but it's still quite a tough film from 1977 definitely yeah um, give you the background it stars Helmut Berger Mm-hmm. Is this um, well? Is the mad dog killer is the beast with the gun? Yeah, exactly, it's exactly yeah. what he is. He's just this horrible, despicable criminal. Mm-hmm. He's quite handsome as well, I suppose. And his character's name is Nanny Vitali. Um, and basically, he just goes around being a bastard. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, seventies Italian film. 
from as a, as a whole genre. But I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce what it's called. <laughs> you you said it in a previous episode. I'm sure you I've did. probably mangled it in a previous episode. <laughs> Basically, it's just this these cop thrillers that sprang up after the likes of uh, Dirty Harry, mm-hmm. and there's this whole subgenre. Is it Polishiteshi or something like that? That that so sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah, yeah, I can't, um, can't pronounce it. Either. So I mean, I've got a few box sets in the house that I just haven't got round to Fernando de Leo mm-hmm. films. I've just never got round to watching. But uh, this one seems sort of pretty typical uh, of this genre. Mm-hmm. So also in the film, uh, we've got the leading ladies, uh, Marissa Mel, mm-hmm. who I'm only really familiar from from Danger Diabolic, which is yeah. quality, and she was like a proper bombshell in a day. I think she died quite young, unfortunately. Also to fans of uh, bad ninja films is Richard Harrison. <laughs> now, I've never seen any of his Godfrey Horn ninja films, Neither but there's are, dozens but of the blighters out there. But I know that they recycled a lot of the footage quite heavily. Yeah, he's probably... Kept on making movies out of the same crowd. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which so, we're not talking authentic ninja movies, we're talking, you know, the ones where they basically have nothing to do with ninjutsu whatsoever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they just kind of shoehorn a plot and then yeah. it involves ninjas somewhere. Exactly, not wrong with that. <laughs> But so basically, Nanny breaks out of Ninja prison. Ninsploitation. Ninsploitation. Nanny breaks out of prison, vowing to get get all of the people who set him up to get into prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and he just goes around, well, just killing people from the get go. Yeah, um, pretty much. Um, starts off with a touch of Grand Theft Auto. I mm-hmm. want that car. He quite literally says, um, "That's the car that I want," and then they just yeah. pull it over and nick it. Very strange at the start. It is speeded up dialogue. Yeah, and, st- and actually just completely uh, sped up scenes. Um, yeah. I've, I've mentioned uh, the, the, when when they're uh, being chased by the uh, cop, uh, Richard Harrison's character, is... um, Santini's yeah. called. Uh-huh. I should mention that uh, he's the detective. Um, all the internal shots of the car are like, really sped up, but to like a crazy degree, uh-huh. where it looks a bit sort of like a... But even one bit, they're talking and it's like, the heads yeah. are like... That's right. Jittery and yeah, you can see the background going by it like supersonic speed. And, yeah, like, you know it's just. But even though it's not bizarre, I don't think they were particularly going for any any effect. So no, no, it wasn't like you know they were supposed to be showing an illusion of speed like you do in some of them, where you know I'll show you an, an outside shot of a car uh-huh. and it going you know taking a bend or doing a jump and they'll speed it up for effect. Yeah, uh-huh. like, he did that a little bit of that in like Mad Max. And yeah, yeah, uh-huh. you can understand that absolutely. But this is just like you know talking head stuff inside a car. Uh-huh. And the background's going by now. Yeah. It doesn't bizarre. It's like the henchman and, and, and nanny sort of bombing along, and it's just really weird. Um, but there's there's also quite a funny uh, stunt where there's this um where the where the guy who plays um Santini or stunt double anyway yeah jumps from the car. That's a rough looking stunt as well, isn't it? And he, yeah, he seems to hit his head on a hill as he goes down. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed. That. No, I didn't notice that, but, but yeah, because as he jumps out, it seems that he just clips the side of his head, and it looks quite. Big. So it's, it's a bit of a Jackie Chan type scenario. And also, I have to mention, why does the car explode like halfway down the hill before it even hits anything? They always do that in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at the start was when they go to the petrol station. That's right. And it's yeah. manned by the Super Mario Brothers. What the what was up with that? I've got that in my notes. Well, you got that as well. Yeah. I, it, I thought it looked like an outfit from like a preschool show, like a show for toddlers, like yeah. Lazy Town or something. Yeah, like that. maybe that's what the way they like dressed the dungarees it. Yeah, the dungarees, and it was just like. I mean, a, you was, do see gas station towns with dungarees, but yeah, like but weird. These primary were primary colours, like Super. Well, not quite Super Mario, but it was that sort of thing. I thought and it did look like a lot like some show for toddlers where they like teaching about colour or something. And like it's always <laughs> bad dialogue. So and the, the hold up this petrol station. You should mention also the print we watched was dubbed. Yes, it so, is a dub, yeah. of course, the dialogue uh, suffers a little bit of that. Yeah, because anyway. they say, all oh, right, and I never thought about that, that aspect of it, because they say, where's the door? And it's like a tiny little shack of a 
petrol station. It's like, well, it's going to be in the till over there. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, dear me. You've but, got a, you've got a sort of. Um, Bear that in mind with a lot of these uh, dubs. They're probably going to be pretty far from the original dialogue, no doubt. Yeah. So basically, the, I mean, the film is just um, N- Nanny sort of hiding from Santini and, and yeah. robbing places. And, and it becomes a bit of a kind of cat and mouse game between them. Yeah. You know, leading towards the showdown. Yeah. It's so pretty much the gist of the sort uh, plot. Of the middle of the film is um, he gets his revenge on the guy who set him up. That's right, yeah. Kidnaps the girlfriend mm-hmm. and uses her as his mole mm-hmm. and she seems too willing to do that really even yeah. the, the policeman says oh just go along with it you'll be alright I know and I was I was just oh. stunned by that it's like so creepy it's like it's... You, there's no scene where she actually says you know that she's been like uh, sort of harmed by him in any way well brutalised raped yeah. Well, yeah but there's no scene where she says that no. to Santini no. by the way yeah but, but, but you would assume yeah. yeah but you would assume that when he's told her the story of what's happened, which mm-hmm. is a lot of it does off screen, yeah, that she must have told him. Effectively, he's just turned around and said, "Well, can you just continue to be abused for a bit longer until uh-huh. we can catch this guy?" Yeah, so wrong. Uh, it is. It is <laughs> unbelievably wrong. I mean, but it's <laughs> the, the film. I would say the first half of the film moves on at a cracking pace. Mm-hmm. It's really good, but it gets really stodgy in the second half. That's right. Yes, I would say that it's like it's lightning fast at the beginning, and then when yeah. it gets to that point, it really sort of slows down. Uh huh. Um, I mean, luckily, it's not for like a huge portion of the runtime. No, but it does kind of lose you a little bit in the middle. I think uh-huh. like, I was starting to get a bit kind of like, you know, we we often talk about economic um running times and having like film that's like 80 odd minutes is great or yeah. like 100 odd minutes uh-huh. and with this one despite it not even being that long it's it's like it's not a particularly long movie um but you do sort of like you do start to like my mind did sort of wander a little bit at that point but then it brought it back thankfully. yeah uh-huh and it, it does got, it got like a lot more exciting towards the uh the kind of setup for the showdown between um there's a lot of like uh very 70s things in this movie like the disguise oh, yeah. with the oh, big yeah. mustache and yeah that. <laughs> that's just really valuable actually Richard Harrison's hair and tash yeah um, I, I, it looks I like down, Beastie Boys sabotage yeah exactly I, I wrote down he looks like Jason King <laughs> oh I that's could brilliant. just think of was the video, music video well that, that's exactly it. he's got a fantastic quaff um, obviously it's an Italian film in the 70s it wouldn't be an Italian film without a bottle of G&B well that's very <laughs> true um, there's there's also just like uh, there's some really harsh bits in it it's not just like the sort of abuse of the female character it's like there's a bit where an old woman's gunned down like mercilessly, yeah. which uh-huh. is pretty harsh. And there's just like um, there's there's all sorts of like quite funny dialogue because of the dubbing, like the bit where one sort of female hostage says, "I'm thirsty," and he's like, "So have a drink, you twat." Yeah, oh, he's like, oh, it's just it's delivered, or the, or the dub's delivered with such like it's just the Ferocity. way it comes across. Yeah, I'm... yeah, it's like you can just see the guy kind of in your head shouting yeah. in the mic. I mean, spit flying from his mouth. Helmut Berger, he's uh, I've. I must have seen him. He must have been in loads of other films, but I can't say I've come across him. I've that never much. seen another movie with him in. But I know, I think I've heard the name. But we should talk about about that because his performance is pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's evil. He's quite intense. But he's quite slight as well. So he. That's but, the thing. Yeah. He, he's like he's not exactly like the most sort of muscular, imposing figure yeah. physically, but he's menacing. But there's this weird, weird scene which um, I, I sort of pointed out again. He's sort of walking in slow motion. Mm-hmm. He's ambling back towards the girl. It's this big wide shot of mm-hmm. this sort of gravel pit they're in where they're basically digging a grave to bury alive the, the henchman. Mm-hmm. Music kicks in and he's it, he's sort of ambling so slow and it's super surreal. 
I don't know if you remember that bit. Yes, I do. Because yeah. it's just the music and mm-hmm. they're running around in the distance. He's ambling towards the girl, mm-hmm. and it's just pretty menacing and it, really weird. It is, and he's, he just does have a very sort of menacing quality. I can see yeah. why he was picked for this role. I mean, um, even the disc itself has mm-hmm. got a sort of a picture of him on the just his face on the disc. We should try and put it up on Facebook because yeah, sure. it's just weird. He does look quite sort of in yeah. the face. Um, the score going to you know you were talking about the music there it has like a kind of minimalist score yeah but it's effective yeah I mean it sounds so downbeat at the start mm. and that sets up the whole sort of effectively yeah. downbeatness of the film because it's yeah. all from his perspective really isn't it so yeah. it's the baddie side all exactly. the time exactly I mean they use this piece of music a lot mm-hmm. in the movie the one that we're talking about and it's um, sometimes they use different parts of it and other times it's like the full thing or it's played slightly differently uh, but it's Super effective. Most of the time, um, it fits like really well, like ninety percent of the time. I think there's maybe one scene, which I'm struggling to recall, uh, where it perhaps wasn't used in the best way. Yeah. But it didn't like it didn't like really wreck anything. It was just kind of like the one where I thought, oh, that's a bit of an odd choice. I think it was maybe a bit earlier on. But yeah, other otherwise, other than that though, it it, it works really well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> going back to the funny dialogue, there's a bit where he <laughs> compares Santini to a filthy hyena. <laughs> <laughs> class um but yeah i mean there's obviously some dodgy day for night scenes i hate when they do that i used to do that a lot in hammer mm. films and it's really yeah. obvious like but uh no it's it i wouldn't i mean i know it's coming out on blu-ray and it might look really good cleaned up yeah definitely um because obviously it's, it's it's really heavily digitized the copy that we've got yeah, it's quite true. quite quite a nasty sort of mm-hmm. version but, but great to see it though mm-hmm. uh, on a legal disc as well uh, not all our discs and for these reviews are legal this time, but I'll explain more <laughs> of that later. Um, but definitely worth checking out if you get to see it. Obviously, it is coming out. I think I don't know if it's eighty-eight films are putting it out. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it should be a fairly sort of good price. Uh, and good price point. Got quite a good print too. Yeah. Should um, be. Rewind a little bit. We should really probably talk a little bit about the uh, the finale as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just sound like you're wrapping up a bit there. So yeah. Um. But the finale is really good. I think that like there's a lot of tension in the film, um, and when we get to the end and there's a showdown between the two of them, uh-huh. it's quite effective. It is. It and is. And it's shot yeah. quite well. You know, there's some quite. Art- Although the whole film's not exactly amazingly directed. No. When there's a bit of artistic flair, it's, and there's some it good really camera and out, some slow it? motion's good. Yeah. Um, and I think you know there's a lot there's a lot of movies that stick in your head like after the credits roll. And especially like when the sort of final scene stays with you and it leaves an impression on you. This one did for me. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about it afterwards, and I think that's always a sign of a good film. You know, yeah, definitely. If something about it stays with you afterwards, because I mean, how many times have you seen something credits rolled, and as as, <laughs> as you're walking out, yeah, you're like, huh? what, what did I just watch? <laughs> In one eye and out the other, you know, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> for but s- um, for some reason, I've got written down here: taxi dog attempted suicide six times. <laughs> I've got no idea what that means in my notes. <laughs> Can you That's remember? That's one of the greatest notes ever. Um, um, no idea. Dog Followed by <laughs> jeans by Benetton. So uh, you know what I mean. That's, that's my brains going out, out, out the window. But uh, yeah, being proper groovy seventies um, fashion. I tell you what's super cool: the machine guns they have when they do yeah. the factory. Uh-huh. They're like, if anybody's seen Cobra with um, yeah, Sylvester Stallone, yeah, the sort of groovy sort of seventies wooden sort of mm-hmm. machine guns they've got. They're excellent. They're Probably we didn't good. talk much about uh, Richard Harrison either as Santini. I think he played quite a likable lead, although some of the dubbing harms his performance. Uh, it probably a bit. does, yeah. Um, I mean, I think he seems like a, a sort of semi decent actor, but it's 
Sometimes it's going to be a little bit uh, difficult for that to come across when you're watching a dub. He's kind of like a cheap rate Frank O'Neill. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, cut rate, I shouldn't That's... say cheap, yeah. <laughs> They're probably being paid about yeah, the same yeah, at the time. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but no, I, that's funny you should mention that because there was somebody I was thinking of that he reminded us of and I could not put my finger on it and it uh-huh. was Frank O'Neill. Yeah. But yeah. He, he's, to be fair, he, he, other than when it really comes down to the showdown at the end, he isn't given that much to do really. Cause... True, yeah, because most of the time he's kind of, you know, just trying to sort of, you know, find out where he is really, mm-hmm. I guess. But there, I mean, there is a good scene where, the, where he sort of like, you know, Arranges a kind of uh, arranges a showdown with them and they taunt each other on the phone and that. Mm-hmm. That's probably probably the most he's given to do before the film. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it uh, overall it's a decent little film. Um, it's it's got a particularly strong performance from uh, Helmut Berger. And, yeah, definitely. Um, and Marissa Mel does not actually have much to do really. Yeah, I mean, if you like, if if you don't mind like films with exploitation elements that are a bit rough in places. Yeah, oh, it's definitely a roughy like. Um, because you know. I can imagine, you know, not everyone being being able to get away with this sort of movie, but uh, but then but again, by today's standards, it's not. But by really, today's standards, yeah, yeah I mean, uh. it's not as bad as as, as uh, some sort of stuff that comes out today, I guess. But um, overall, you know, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, don't know if I'll run back to it straight away, but uh, give, mean, it, give it a year or two. Hampered by a lot of things that you know, hampered a lot of it, low budget Italian films, and you know, things like the dubbing and, the, and like the fashions and some of the yeah. lines, the dubbing particularly. But I think if you can get past that and have a laugh at some uh-huh. of the dubbing, it's not. But then again, it's like bad. The, the dubbing, some of the voice voice actors you'll recognise from if you've watched a lot of Italian That's films. That's true. I'd be interested to see the Italian version with subtitles because now a lot of Italian cinema, like um, we're actually getting like Italian versions with with yeah. uh, with subs. You've got the options sometimes, the first time. yeah. Um, and you know we've never really had that before because in the VHS and DVD era it was always dubs. Yeah. So I it's mean, the same with the martial arts films, but then again, it's like I don't know if it's a thing now where you remember the dub, so it'd be like watching Drunken Master with, with you know, <laughs> if it ain't that original dub from then. It's yeah. funny because I went to see Akira at the cinema the other week, and we were on about the different dubs that there were. Yeah. There's the original streamline that, that probably mangled the plot yeah, it a bit. Yeah, was quite inaccurate. Yeah. yeah, but it's what people remember. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the thing with uh, with a lot of the the older anime when it had a very nostalgic dub. Yeah. I still quite like some of those dubs, even though. You know, the mangled the films, yeah. Aye. I mean, some of the well, there's one for Cyber City where it just adds loads of swear words, despite the Japanese having none. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I suppose we can pretty safely say that uh, Beast with a Gun gets a thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Right. What we got next? Okay, next up we have The Last Shark, 
uh, directed by Enzo Castellari. Uh, the B-Movie King. Yeah, B-Movie King. Have uh, noted for such things as Kiyoma and Bronx uh, Warriors. Bronx of Warriors, awesome. And uh, <laughs> as many post apocalyptic films as you'd care to mention. Um, now, this one, it's, it's a hard one to talk about this one because it's. Uh, <laughs> what I actually have in my hands is a genuine bootleg. That's the only thing, only way I can call it because when this film got released, um, that very big company, Universal in America, who mm-hmm. produced Jaws, mm-hmm. um, took one look at this and said, not a chance, lads. Um, <laughs> and the basically got pulled from the cinemas and actually had made a, a few dollars Apparently. Acor- yeah according to the um, internet anyway it was really raking it in so Universal says we're not having that um, it's too too close to Jaws yeah. for our comfort and the, the film got pulled and apart from a few territories in the world it's pretty hard to find yeah absolutely I mean it first came to my attention from Fraser I had not heard of it before believe it or not uh-huh. uh, even though it's apparently quite notorious and I think it is simply because it's just so widely unavailable yeah um, which isn't always a recommendation definitely not <laughs> but I think that in terms of its like uh, significance I mean we, we've always been quite interested in like Italian rip-offs of oh, yeah. films uh-huh. and you know in some cases it's led to some quite good movies like most of the time not <laughs> to, to be fair yeah. but you know the likes of like you know Fulci being inspired by Dawn of the Dead to make zombie yeah I, um, I do quite like Bronx Warriors actually yeah, for a Warriors exactly. rip-off for, yeah. for what it is you know yeah. low, low budget sort of cheese but it's uh-huh. It's you know it's it's fun for what it is you know you I mean I think the thing is you grew we grew up with a lot of these kind of uh, B movies and things and you do kind of get quite attached to some of them. but Bronx Warriors is definitely one of the better ones that Castellari made yeah uh, this not so much <laughs> yeah you should have stuck with the westerns and whatnot should he uh, yeah. he knew what he was doing there um so basically the the film stars uh, James Franciscus um mm-hmm. as an author. A sort of oceanographer type type mm-hmm. fella. Sure. Um, he's probably best known for hmm, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what he's most familiar with me with. So again, in this one, he's replacing Roy Scheider. In yes. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, he replaced Charlton Heston. <laughs> uh, who's also in, he's, he's in a few Italian this films. This guy's kind of a complex, isn't he? Yeah, totally. Be in the stand-in. Um, he was in another <laughs> sort of watery film called Killer Fish. Right, which tells it tells it like it is. Might, I don't know if it was Castellari director or it might have been Sergio Martino. I don't know, but I remember Same. seeing that on BBC One, right. prime time, <laughs> um, and it was kind of violent. Actually, it's quite good. Yeah. That was a piranha rip off that one. Right, I, see. Uh, I think Lee Majors was in it as well. Good film though that one. Well, I'm saying good film. I was about ten at the time, so I, it was, I it was just, good for a ten year old. Yeah, good for a ten year old. So also, we have uh, the late Vic Morrow in this as well. Yes, who tragically died a few years after this was made, making the Twilight Zone that's movie. That's right, that's the fella. Um, also, we have um, Giancarlo Pretti, a.k.a. Timothy Brent, who appeared in Warriors of the Wasteland, mm-hmm. or The New Barbarians. He was the lead in that, again, another Castellari film, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, who also pops up in a few of these films is Josh Sinclair. Um, he plays like the businessman mayor type role that's in this. That's right, yeah. He's quite familiar. I think he's, he is... Again, another American actor, but he does pop up in Bronx Warriors. Mm-hmm. He is in Kiyoma. He's in a few Italian films uh, of the time. Uh, and he's quite sort of recognisable and a sort of decent actor in his sure. own right. The setup is Jaws. <laughs> yeah, the setup is see Jaws. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> That's the best synopsis. Say no more. Um, <laughs> it's, it's almost the same. I mean, there's there's a little bit of difference to the setup. But so, really. I mean, the start of the film, instead of somebody going out for a swim, we'll have somebody on a. On a uh, surfboard. A surfboard. Um, yeah. Windsurfing. Windsurfing. Who's yeah. pr- whoever it was, pretty talented windsurfer. 
Um, but this, it's quite funny that opening scene. It's because it's extremely odd with like slow motion windsurf and a cheesy pop. Yeah, it's I mean, very it's strange. Proper... Mix that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it, but it, the the plot in this version is that there's a windsurfing regatta coming up. Yeah. And the governor, like um, the sort of governor of the town, is basically um, wanting it all sorted out before, uh, you know, to to get rid of if the shark if there is yeah. one. Uh-huh. Before the regatta takes place, so he's quite proactive. Yeah. He sets up the shark nets, etc. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's not good enough for a giant shark. And he shark. employs Quint. Um, I mean, Ron Hammer. Yeah, a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> who's? I tell you one thing. That accent in this is so dodgy. Oh, he's supposed to be the Scottish in it, and it's all <laughs> over the shop. Really, he, is. he doesn't know whether he's Scottish or what. I, I don't even know what the other accent he was doing that he was kind of accidentally falling into was supposed to be. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's just oh, no. It's no. It's just I mean, bizarre. Vic Morrow himself, he, he's been in some pretty yeah. good. He's a good, good little actor. He was as a is actor, yeah. James Franciscus. I mean, the probably B movie actors, but character actors, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but the movie is just so derivative of Jaws, isn't it? It's like yeah. such a shameless ripoff in every way, shape, and form. So let's talk about the shark. Yeah. <laughs> if you can call it, that. if you can call it that, it seems to sort of just come out of the water vertically. Mm-hmm. And then sink back again, exactly That's where right. it was. I mean, you re- you think Jaws is, no, not, I wouldn't say bad, but limited. Yeah, limited. I mean, I think, but, you know, we, I mean, coming from the sort of background that we come from with all the films that we watched back in the 80s and things with prosthetic yeah. effects and mechanical effects and that. Which we love. Which we love. And, you know, we don't, we know we're not like uh, sort of sold on a lot of the CGI things of today. But for what it was... You know, like the original movie, it looks pretty good for for what like, you could have done with it back then. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it had it had a lot of different types of movement, and we know it wasn't it, yeah. just bombing out of the water and its mouth open. Yeah, it could do other things as well. <laughs> Whereas this is basically, it almost just feels like it just kind of goes up and down. It's like a giant glove puppet that comes out the water, opens its mouth, and sinks back down again. Pretty much. Yeah. All it's really able to do is recreate Jaws' poster. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh huh. Totally. <laughs> So, I mean, it's kind of like the film's a bit of an amalgamation of Jaws and Jaws 2, I suppose. I suppose it is, Because, yeah. like, yeah, it's... Oh. So, so, there's some great quotes in it. Ron Hammer, um, the Quint ripoff, says, uh, one thing's for sure, it wasn't a floating chainsaw that did this. <laughs> <laughs> and here's another great line. Is there's this bit where they're discussing... Um, the possible uh, demise of if somebody is saying, you know, uh-huh. he's went missing and we don't know where to find him. And he, and he say... Couldn't it have been an explosion? We all know that when Edwin fishing, he used grenades. <laughs> what? And I love when they, they, they literally do go fishing for the shark, don't they? Yeah. They just get a big lump of meat. It's a sort mm. of, all of it seems a throwback to the scene in Jaws when they're trying to get it from the pier. That's right, And they yeah. get dragged off and they've got mm-hmm. that big lump of meat in a, in a tyre. Who is it? It's it's the, the mayor's... Oh, it's Governor, the Governor. The governor yeah. Wells. Mm-hmm. That's um, Josh Sinclair's character. That's his, right, yeah. his son goes out with um, Benton's daughter. Mm-hmm. She loses a leg while they're literally fishing for the shark mm-hmm. in this giant big boat. Which that's right. They didn't need a bigger boat than that because that was a bit bloody big boat. But um, <laughs> and sort of Benton sort of blames uh, the governor a bit for that. There's this know. amazing bit where um, the governor is talking to Ron Hammer. Uh huh. And he's basically saying like, you know, you need to like catch it at all costs before they regatta and that. Mm-hmm. And he and he's like talking about like you'll. He'll basically make it worth his while, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Basically, you've, you've got it. Do it, yeah. Call and he's lunch. like, I just want the head. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the governor walks away and it zooms in on him and he's like, Just the head. <laughs> <laughs> Sinister shit. 
Oh god no! <laughs> I laughed for so long at that; it was hilarious. It's um, and I mean, like the shark. If it's not the model that's popping out of the water, it is a kid's toy at some point. Yes. And if not, it's stock footage. That's right, and the stock footage is among the worst stock footage, footage I've ever seen yeah. in the film. Totally. I mean, there are scenes when it cuts between, like the really really bad model close up yeah. to aquarium footage. Ah, uh, yeah. And there's bits where the aquarium footage does not in any way, shape or form match the quality of the movie. Just totally, totally dropped in from another planet. Yeah, I mean... Not even close. The colours don't even look right or anything. And, you know, we we mentioned it was a bona fide bootleg because, you know, in this day and age, like, uh, things are pretty easy to source, but there are still some stuff... There are are still a lot of movies, you know, which are tough to track down and Mm -hmm. you have to find by his means. Now this um, this sort of DVD our bootleg is taken from a Japanese Laserdisc. Yes, which just goes to show like how obscure, like how hard it is to get hold of. Yeah. Um. Well, so it had like Japanese subtitles on yeah. the bottom. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. And it, you know what? It brought back a lot of like fond memories for me though, because I remember in the days of bootlegs when a lot of stuff was a lot harder to get hold of. Uh-huh. Watching things like the Lone Wolf and Cub movies copied from a Laserdisc. And it had that exact same look to the quality, yeah. where the colours were a little bit washed out. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was, was a it was second generation. Watch, oh yeah. Uh-huh. But it was like a so, second generation copy that just looked a little bit off. Yes. Um, but it was like you know totally watchable for the time. Yeah. Um, but that just shows you like these days what's acceptable and not acceptable. That's barely acceptable these days, even though it's probably better than a VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas these days we're so used to shiny Blu-rays oh, yeah. and, and whatnot, and absolutely yeah. remasters and etc. But uh, I wouldn't. It, I wouldn't be chasing this. This is a remaster if it not, came out. Definitely not. Um, there's. There was also a bit uh, going back to how crappy the shark looked. There was. There was also this bit where um, they just basically had a still of a shark coming out of the water, and they just zoom in on it. You got yeah, aye. And it it's, like, it's a me, classic shot. Shot of a great white shark like breaching out the water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. That famous that, shot that you've was always the seen. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> And it reminded me um, of a of a much uh, better film using a very cheap uh, technique, which was uh, Blazing Magnums, where it had that flashback in it. Yeah. Where it flashed back to the funeral, and instead of showing you footage of the guy they were talking about who was a suspect, it showed you the funeral scene again and just zoomed in on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Marvelous. There's all sorts of like um, rubbish filmmaking which, techniques in it. it. Like even the death scenes are piss poor. Yeah, they really are. I. <laughs> It'll be sort of like you know somebody's hap- something's nasty's happened to somebody, and they'll just close up on their face, and then they'll close their eyes. They're gone. I mean, the thing is, Reid, there's this one that I've got. I've got to mention. I've got a note about here somewhere. One second. I'm trying not to give too yeah. many of the death scenes away because some of them are quite. Because that's the fun. only that's the only reason to watch it. Yeah. Really. But there is this hilarious bit where the shark flips a boat, and it's clearly a mannequin, but they cut away from it for a brief second, which mm-hmm. makes it almost like. They almost get away with it, but they, but they so don't. Yeah, they fluffed it. <laughs> and then as if that wasn't funny enough, there's a bit a small time later in the film where somebody's looking at a video of what happened, mm-hmm. and this time it just shows you it without the cutaway, so it looks far worse the second time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, they've not learned anything no. from the fact that... Like, oh, that right, didn't look cut, too good, but cut, cut there, yeah. Didn't look so bad. Okay, right, we'll make sure we do... Oh, crap, yeah. <laughs> and that radio-controlled helicopter. <laughs> The, yeah. the the helicopter crash that that bit is hilarious. Oh, just if you think what the, these days, I mean, what's the benchmark for helicopter crashes? Um, that Ridley Scott for them, Black Hawk Down. Mm. Do you know what I mean with things? Yeah. And this when this crashes into water, it is somebody's just dropped a model from 
six foot up and, and the, floats and down. And the crash is really sh- awkwardly shot with like yeah. really weird close up angles that are like it's almost... trying to make give it perspective like heft and weight of a model compared to the you know what yeah, I mean it's trying, trying, trying to do to... like a perspective thing a bit like you know like a much better example is something like uh, Cloverfield where they're in the yeah. helicopter and it crashes but uh-huh. like it, they just couldn't I would say arguably the the worst part of the film uh-huh. and let's face it there's a lot <laughs> where do you start <laughs> there's a lot of worst in this movie um, I'd say arguably the worst part is what should have been one of the best bits which is the shark's death mm-hmm. where is it yeah, exactly. Oh, that's it's pretty tame. Like it I is mean, tame. It's an incredible letdown. Because it, it's quite a funny it, little setup, really, when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it is quite a funny setup. And yeah. The thing is, there's a bit where Quint Strokama is being uh, munched on. Yes. And he's got explosives on him. Uh huh. And basically, like uh, the explosives that he's got on his person have been like chowed down by the shark. So he's so the other guy is going to like detonate them. Benton, yeah. But when he goes underneath the water. When the shark goes underneath the water with the exp- and you see what's supposed to be an explosion, uh-huh. it's basically just a few pieces of red going past the camera yeah. with a few bubbles, and it's like, is is that supposed to be an explosion? Because when you think the end of the Jaws, it goes up. Yeah, it and then really you got does, that yeah. whole shot of the shark crashing back down to the floor, the sea floor. Mm. It's just talk about cheap. It was like they just chucked a few pieces of pink meat past. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, probably. And like, Probably what they're using, know, what, and create a few bubbles. Bubbles, yeah. What, what they're using for bait in the uh, in the other parts of the film, but uh, I mean, really, it, it it sort of commits one of the worst cardinal sins of filmmaking is that it's quite boring yeah. for long stretches. Well, of it. I was I was struggling. Yeah, I was struggling. Like. Yeah, I mean, when there's not like something funny, like a mannequin being flipped out of a boat really badly, or yeah. like, or a really like um, bad special effect or something, you're just not enthralled by it in any way shape or form no. a lot of the best Italian rip-offs you know were, were like crazy films yeah. that had like mental set pieces this is and, like, missing that sort of gonzo attitude yeah exactly um, all yeah. those all those sort of like uh, films you know like things that we mentioned like Zombie and Bronx Warriors mm-hmm. and stuff they were like they had a lot of uh, a lot of sort of uh, zany scenes in them yeah and that was what made them so appealing was it was like a showreel of crazy shit this this one's jaw dropping for all the wrong reasons <laughs> <laughs> however that's a great poster <laughs> yeah, there's, there's the, the, the front of the box is a pretty cool poster, but uh, <laughs> just a rip off of George, the Jaws two poster. So yeah, I mean, even even my most hated podcast film so far, The Sword and the Sorcerer, uh-huh. was a lot more entertaining than this. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, maybe maybe they're about on par. The opening scene of Sword and the Sorcerer wasn't bad, but after that, no. it just went Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, until until the end when they all yeah, I like the end of Sword and the Sorcerer, but yeah. Yeah. I think we'll put this one to bed, so definitely a thumbs down. Yeah, I think every copy of it should probably be encased in concrete and thrown yeah. in the mine. I, I need to, I need to do a ceremonial <laughs> burning of this, actually, I think. So. And then that mine should have explosives. <laughs> well, if it's anything like in the film. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> but yeah, so definitely a thumbs down with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I almost feel like I should uh, thank you for, uh, for sort of uh, sitting through it. Yeah, <laughs> and being patient enough to get to the end of this review. So yeah, last shark. No, yeah, it is the last shark. No more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to the final yeah. review. Indeed. So, next up, uh, and the last film that we're doing this episode mm-hmm. is Cut and Run, directed yeah. by Ruggiero Diodato uh, in roughly 1985. Mm-hmm. Diodato, if you didn't know, 
is the godfather of the, the cannibal, cannibal genre. Yeah. Yeah. And also the found footage movie. Exactly. Um, he made a film in 1979, which is still notorious to this day. Absolutely. Cannibal, Cannibaholic Austin is still not a very, not an easy watch at all. Um, but yeah, it's sort of on the back of that you've got your Blair Witch and all your found footage your paras- paranormal yeah. activities etc <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so he directed it he's quite well known for making tough films yeah definitely I mean most of his films are, are kind of like nasty exploitation movies but not without some sort of filmmaking merit you know yeah yeah definitely and generally they've got quite a good hook to them and some good performances and things and the effects are generally like pretty convincing yeah um, but not this one. Not in this one particularly. <laughs> I mean, I think that the the kills, some of the kills in Gore are inventive, but they're kind of hokey. Right. But Give we'll, us a plot synopsis, then oh, we'll, sorry, we'll, yes. we'll talk about who's in it, and then we'll pull it apart. Um, so it, in a cannibal way. <laughs> so two American reporters investigate a series of grisly deaths and the disappearance of their boss's son, uh, and follow the trail to the Amazon and find themselves fighting for their life against hostile natives in a crazy colonel who's the head of a drug cartel. Right. Fair enough. Okay, so we've got two t- TV reporters. Um, Fran, who's played by Lisa Blunt, who I believe was in uh, Officer and a Gentleman, but I can't remember that that one really. Uh, also, we've got in the film we've got Richard Lynch as the sort of drug overlord, the, mm-hmm. the nasty pasty. Uh, we've got <laughs> Eric LaSalle from ER. He's like a pimp, sort of huggy yeah, bear type thing. That's right. Yeah. Um, we who else have we got in it? Oh, obviously uh, Michael Berryman. Who's famous for the Hills of Eyes and a few other West Craven shockers, um, yeah. And also in in the part of the sort of the lost son is this character called Williams, who I've never seen before, but evidently has been yeah, in other who stuff. Really reminded us of Mark Hamill. He did, yes. Um, <laughs> a pained Mark Hamill at the end of Empire Strikes Back. That's not true. Yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> Basically, if you imagine Luke Skywalker in that scene, that's basically this guy's expression through most of the film. In his Mickey Mouse t-shirt, though. Yeah. As he was Mickey Mouse ringer on. Um, <laughs> and it's just, which, yeah, you said so it is a sly sort of nudge at sort of American uh, sort of culture, cap- culture and, and capitalism and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, the fact it gets all sort of covered in blood and grotty as the film progressed, I thought, hmm, subtle. Yeah, <laughs> not very. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, basically, the film starts off in the states as a few nasty drug killings or drug-related mm-hmm. uh, killings, and everybody seems to get sort of knives through the kneecaps and yeah. heads like, chopped off and things. That's right, yeah. Um, and then the, the film cuts. Well, the, the, the reporters fly to the Amazon, mm-hmm. um, somehow make it there in one piece, and in this sort of ramshackle plane that they sort of bribe their way onto, almost yeah. sort of blackmail themselves onto this drug runners plane. Um, and it's just that's about it, really. The film is just such a like bizarre like mix. If like it doesn't really, it seems very like meandering in terms of being like an exploitation movie with loads of gore and that. Like it just seems to like completely lose like any sort of like uh, sense of like structure or like what it's yeah. about. It seems like so unfocused. I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't like a cohesive script for the film. No, I, I think somebody turned on the producer said like, "Oh, I want to make you a jungle movie," and he said, "Nah, the one there's a lot of money. All right, okay, I'll I'll do the job." Yeah, more um, than likely. And then I mean, they said, oh, "Obviously, enough money to get some American actors in, some American yeah, character actors." I mean, one of the saving graces of it is that the acting isn't the worst when you compare it to a lot of other like genre fare, like a lot yeah. of low budget stuff, particularly. And we mentioned, you know, that like some of the Diodatos of the films are actually like quite good and have some decent actors. Mm-hmm. But um, there's just so many like uh, ridiculous things in the film. I mean, obviously, 
in America and in the UK, the film's known as Cut and Run. Mm-hmm. In Italy, it's known as Inferno in Diretta, which is means live from hell. So they've got this mm-hmm. whole sort of like the live footage thing broadcasting from the Amazon being hell, yeah. uh, the title, which I suppose uh-huh. calls back to the Green Inferno sequence within Cannibal Holocaust. So mm-hmm. you can see where it's kind of coming from there, but it's just, oh, this just jumps about the film. One minute they're in deepest, darkest jungle, the next yeah. minute they're on top of a mountain almost. Yeah, there's no uh, continuity no. that gives you like a sense of where they've travelled from or to. Aye. And it's just full of completely bizarre like uh, scenes weird plot holes and it's sometimes kind of like pantomime like it is like it goes from like really heavy exploitation where somebody's getting pegged out to die and kind of knives put through their like knees and legs and stuff and then they're hacked apart Uh to a scene where Michael Berryman randomly pops up like a Scooby-Doo villain to (laughs) terrorise the cast out of nowhere chases them about a bit he's a good swimmer he can hold his breath (laughs) chases them about a bit with a snake or something or with a machete and then they kind of lose them, and then they, a little bit later on, the encounter me pops up again. And it's, but it is literally the sort of the setup of some of the deaths. It's like, but they had to be standing right in front of you to get you. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just and, rubbish. And that's what there's so many things like that in the film where even the leading the deaths are the reasons why people die are so bizarre or yeah. like or completely like fake, like so 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 sort of ridiculous and improbable. I mean, there's another um, there's a British actor in it called John Steiner, mm-hmm. who has a very memorable death in this one which is usually cut out of a lot of the versions of the film yes uh-huh. um, and he plays like a mad character but like you just don't know where the character's coming from uh, mm. it's just it's bizarre um, <laughs> all the way through you've got these drum beats in the background which just sounds like Yoshi's theme from Super Mario World <laughs> don't know if you noticed that Um <laughs> <laughs> I did find the use of music really bizarre but I never thought of it yeah, as bad but it sounds a bit I like did, you know do you know what I mean yeah, I yeah. that's exactly we'll have to cue this in at some point in this to get that beat in um, <laughs> there's, there's also a scene where Tommy the American kid who we mentioned with the, the Mickey Mouse shirt who's a like cross captured. between actually I'm going to I'm going to change my opinion he's a cross between Mark Hamill and Brad Dourif that's, a, <laughs> that's quite a good uh, description so there's a scene where Tommy's asked by a man who's been captured by natives to like kill him because he's suffering in this trap. Yes. It's slowly ripping him apart. It's actually yeah. splitting him in two. Yeah. So he's like, kill me, and he wants him to shoot him in the head. So Takes so, his time, doesn't he? So this lethal <laughs> trap's like tearing him limb from limb, and the kid's like sort of horrified by what's happening, but he takes forever to actually get the courage up to shoot him, by uh-huh. which point he's already been ripped in half. Yeah. And he shoots him and it's too late. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Way, way past the time you should be shooting him. That's now. a quality kill for, for this sort of film, that one, like. But it's yeah, a I shame mean, that, like, the, the the copy of the film I got the Anchor Bay one from about, oh, I don't know, probably about 15 years ago, and it says that they've had to sort of use different materials to... Yeah. You can see that it's from some dodgy VHS somewhere. That's right, I mean... You wouldn't get that these days, they would find it. And it's one of those weird cases of an Italian film where the cast seemingly spoke English, but they've dubbed Absolutely. it anyway. Yeah. So then, when they've and how they spliced yeah. the footage, you get the Italian. You get subs. the Italian. Well, subs. well, the English subs for the, the Italian subs language. For the Italian yeah. language, yeah. Which it's just, again wouldn't happen these days. It would. No, it, it would wouldn't. just. They would dig the. They would find the material somewhere, and at the end, it all goes. And they a can bit, restore stuff a lot better these oh, days God, as yeah, well. I mean, yeah. so but but so, so so we've watched a very strange print of the movie basically. Yeah. And by the end, it turns into a sort of bargain basement apocalypse now. Yeah, it really does with the with the crazy colonel acting yeah. like sort of all medicine yeah. and knowing he's going to die and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they got helicopters coming in, 
to rescue the deer, which is just oh. There's a there's a scene in it where the kid is like uh, kind of having a heart to heart with this like uh, female prisoner. Yeah. And it's really cheesy, but it's made like far worse by the fact that Dubbin's atrocious. Aye. <laughs> that was painful. <laughs> it's just. But the colonel who runs the whole show as well, he's like a really weird character, and his dialogue is completely just, crap. Yeah, it's just his dialogue is like it's trying to be all poignant about you know stuff to do with like America, and you know we were talking about the whole subtlety of like the Mickey Mouse chick yeah. and all grotty. Well, he's talking about like how he left America behind because of the sort of gone to the dog sort of yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, and he's like kind of in this brave new world or what what have uh-huh. you. But it's but it's just awful the whole scene like. He's, he's sitting there stroking a snake while mm-hmm. he's sort of talking to the heroine and yeah. like telling him about his ideology. But the dialogue is just so bad that it's like really painful to listen to. And it seems like a subpar kind of Colonel Cut speech. Oh, yeah, it is. From, yeah. Um, from, from Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. now. Yeah, I like um, and he's one weird looking bloke as well, isn't he? Oh, he's like, he, he's, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, what's the actor called again? Uh, Richard Lynch, yeah, he'd actually, he's a burn victim. Right in real in real well I know, wasn't aware he, of that, he's passed so away now apologies be, Richard be, yeah but because of that he got typecast into heavy sort of roles right. and um mm-hmm. um I've seen him interviewed he's he's quite a sort of like a bubbly character right. compared to his screen persona, persona yeah. which is just like yeah you always oh, he's, he's one of he's the like cast an, I wasn't familiar he's with he's like, like an eighteen heavy that sort of thing oh, you know okay. what I mean he's, he's in all that that sort of stuff um he's got quite quite a, he's in some good films actually but uh, obviously heavily tied cast I see well I mean going back to what you were saying about the finale it's utterly bizarre it to- it to- it's so utterly bizarre it defies description yeah it really does when everything kicks off and like you know they're all they're broadcasting it live uh-huh. and then when the shit hits the fan like they see an opportunity to kind of like wrestle control back from like the natives yeah and there's all these natives like sort of wailing like hysterically <laughs> like while one of them is kind of wailing they're not really paying attention they kind of smack them with a the camera yeah and it's one of the fakest like sort of uh, hits with any object in the film I've ever seen it's yeah. nowhere near the Just, person no exactly <laughs> but uh I mean it's so unconvincing it's hilarious it's just yeah I'm sure I used to enjoy this film years ago when I first saw it but it just doesn't hold up now I mean like we said Diodato all those films can sometimes leave a bit of like a nasty taste in the mouth he's got some very some very strong like violence and mm-hmm. stuff in his films they, they have like a sort of quality to them in terms of well, performances they're coherent <laughs> yeah and they're coherent and they're generally like you know quite edgy a seat yeah because of the sort of nature of them but this one is just so awful. I mean, and the twist, my God, a twist you could see coming a mile mm, away. Yeah. There's Towards the end, after we mentioned, like, Michael Berryman, unfortunately, poor bloke, popping up, like, uh, randomly, like, a Scooby-Doo villain chasing yeah. them around. And at the very end, they've taken off on the plane after everything's kicked off and they've gotten away and they've escaped. Ta-da. And you haven't seen Michael Berryman for about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. I wonder where he is. He's in the cargo hold of the plane. Yeah, of course. We didn't see that one coming, did yeah, we? Yeah, no, it didn't. Fucking we? hell. But then what happens to Michael Berryman... He gets sprayed in the face with a fire extinguisher and he turns into the moon from the Mount, Mighty Bush. <laughs> Doesn't he? Pretty much. Yeah. Right. Um, poor bloke. I mean, like, yeah. he's, he had to wander, he's obviously had to wander about on set covered with, like, foam from head to toe. <laughs> <laughs> looking like a tit glass. Yeah, basically oh. looking like the moon from the bush. Yeah. But, uh, I, it's... Oh, God, no. No. One thing... We should talk about the theme music. Claudio Simonetti did the music. Yeah, um, that's quite, actually... Yeah. It's quite decent. The, the the theme is good, but it doesn't fit the film. No, it's but it's very eighties as well. So, it is, but yeah. I mean the thing is, is um, Simonetti's like tunes are always are always quite good. I mean he's scored a lot of quite iconic Italian films like Demons, Demons and that, yeah. Um, but anyway, 
all his music's memorable, mm-hmm. but I think it, it, yeah, it, it's out, out of this, kilter on this yeah, one. Yeah, it is. It is. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't actually get to see the film before he scored it. Yeah. In fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if he just already had the tracks lined up. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's like in the library, yeah, this one, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pay a lot I'm of money for that. Notes, he's like, just give us some music, doesn't matter what it is. Exactly. And similarly, he's like, well, I've got this upbeat, upbeat jaunty tune that wouldn't be out of place. It's like a, it's like a TV theme or something. Oh. And, and the dude or whoever made this decision was like, oh, I'll take it. And he's like, well, yeah, but I thought you said it was like an action-adventure exploitation film. Oh, I said yeah. I'll take it, all right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would have been better than the Equalizer or something. Yeah, probably would have. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. <laughs> or some sort of cop show or something. Totally, totally. Um, so I mean, the the film isn't completely incompetent. In, although it's like a bad movie, uh-huh. not everything is badly done in it. But it's just so... There's so many things that are so cack-handed in it. Yeah. The continuity is rubbish. There's like kills that make no sense or like characters that wander well, in from nowhere and Michael Berryman seems to be able to leap out of water yeah <laughs> and I mean I was invested in the fact that like you know I wanted to see how they would escape and like I wanted to see how the film ended yeah but there was just it just didn't have anything particularly memorable about it and elements of it like the Colonel and Michael Berryman's weird chase routines and that yeah just I mean, really like, took you out of the film the, and made it so laughable do you know that bit where the, the, the land um, when the reporters come in and the pilots go, well, that was that. You just knew what was going to happen to that pilot as soon as he's like, well, folks, that was great and all that. And you thought, three, two, one, one dead. dead. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh. And for, for for a film that's supposed to be like a serious kind of piece of exploitation cinema, that's supposed to make you disturbed. Mm. The only thing you were disturbed by was the quality of it. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, it's painful, <laughs> painful. And like I say, I mean, you know, and we like exploitation films. Yeah, so, we like um, B movies. We yeah. like kind of so bad the good films. But yeah. there's a point when something's not so just, bad it's good. It's yeah. just bad, uh-huh. and that is definitely uh, crossed the but line. But I mean, you see this written down. You see who's in it. You think this should be good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Michael Berryman, um, like he's a total like genre sort of veteran mm-hmm. in like uh, loads of decent movies. Mentioned mm-hmm. the Hills of Eyes and tons of other things. Yeah, um, weird science. Weird science, <laughs> indeed. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he's very recognisable in, in sort of... Him and uh, Vernon Wells turn up at the <laughs> yeah, end. Exactly, uh, yeah, exactly. Quality, quality. Indeed. Um, I should review that one. It's better than this. Um, but <laughs> I, think, I think probably like uh, half of the sort of uh, movies released in the 80s were better yeah. than this. All right, I think we'll, uh, we'll draw a line on this this review and, and this mm-hmm. episode. Indeed, yeah. Fair uh, video drone. So I think next time we're definitely going to go for Phantasm. So we'll do Phantasm 1 and 2, mm-hmm. and then 3 and Maybe. 4. And we might... Because I think it's coming out on video on demand, but I don't know if it's in this country. Do Ravager, Ravager the yeah. uh, fifth one, yeah. Excellent. Hey, that was pretty good that we both said that at the same time. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> everybody. Yeah, totally. Bye bye.